Hello there and welcome back to another weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting for about 20 years now. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I started, uh, I think in 2003. So next year is going to be Jubilee year. Wow. <laughs> and you're still listening. That's the worst part of it. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons. They make it possible for me to do this work for all these years. I've been supported by my followers, by my listeners, now by my viewers on YouTube. And without my patrons, I just couldn't do this. I probably have just have a regular job in a, in a parish or probably here in the Netherlands in 10 parishes at once. Uh, and instead, I can use my time to reach out to the world. And I have this digital parish that crosses oceans. Uh, we're not yet on other planets, but we're working on it. I want to mention a few new patrons. Uh, I do that at the beginning of each new month. And this is the first podcast episode in the month of April. Um, and all the new patrons that have joined us in the past four or five weeks... Um, I want to mention them by name because I'm so happy to in, to welcome them into this wonderful community of people that not only make it possible for me to do this work, but they also help me do this work through their input, by uh, reacting and giving feedback in the Discord group, and uh, and also by interacting amongst each other. Uh, there's a really uh, a, a feeling of family uh, I always have with the with the Patreon community. So welcome, Alma Barocho Huerta, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Walter Soller, Darren Wong, Carol Mackey, Gary Pokorny, uh, Jeannie Craig, uh, she's been listening since the early days of podcasting. I'm so happy to uh, see her and her husband uh, back here in, in the community. We've got Terry Clearly, Melanie uh, Bordelon, and I also want to thank Stephen Robichaud for upping his tier. And uh, some of you have been doing that also over the past uh, few weeks um, and months because um, if you step into a higher tier, you also make it possible for me to continue to, to work on these documentaries and you get early access. So I'm currently um, working on the audio of the second Scotland documentary. I'm very excited about it. It's called The Mystery of the Monks. And in that documentary, I am going to search for the literally the hiding place of one of the apostles of Scotland. It was originally an Irish monk, but for a very specific reason, which I will reveal in the documentary, he... He he came out of Ireland and he went to live in a cave in in Scotland uh, for a while. And so I'm looking for that cave and I'll take you with me in that documentary. Um, I'm very excited uh, by how it looks and also by its contents. It's very, it was a very uh, inspiring journey. And there's more to come. Uh, there will be uh, a third Scotland documentary. And I even recovered footage from an earlier trip that I did to Scotland. Um, that requires a lot of work, a lot of post-production work. My current computer is unable to upscale that to something that is, um, that is watchable. But hopefully, uh, also thanks to the support of my patrons, I'll be able to um, get myself a, a newer computer. This one that I'm using for editing is... Uh, I think about five, six years old now. Um, so I'm hoping to get myself um, a, a Macintosh that I can also use if I go to Rome, for instance, or to the United States to edit on the fly when I'm when I'm uh, on the road. 
So thank you so much for uh, uh, being a part of that Patreon community. If you want to become part of the of that community, then you know where to go, patreon.com slash fatherroderick. It's very much appreciated. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Do you know what I like about these jingles? It, they allow me to take a sip of my coffee. I'm recording this particular episode at the beginning of the day, pretty early, because um, next door, the people of, the, of this particular church, they are demolishing a building. Uh, they want to have a bigger space to gather after mass and also for courses and education and socializing. Uh, and but it, to save money, <laughs> they are destroying the old building themselves, and they usually arrive after lunch, and then for the rest of the day, I'm done. I cannot record anything because um, the building is adjacent to my rectory, and so you've got all that contact noise. Whenever they use a drill or a sledgehammer, uh, it sounds as if they're literally demolishing my kitchen here down below, and the noise is everywhere in the house. So. Um, that is why I'm recording this early, and that is also why I need coffee to uh, <laughs> to stay awake and to bring you this content. Uh, another reason that I'm having an extra cup of coffee is that yesterday I celebrated my birthday on, and I'm so glad with that, on um, Star Trek First Contact Day. Now, this is a recent thing. Actually, it's a day that is still... Uh, bound to happen in the future this this day will be instituted in i think 2063 if i'm not mistaken when uh the first flight the first space flight uh reaches um war a speed uh, equivalent to warp one and for the intergalactical community that is the signal that you can make first contact before that you know, you've got the, the prime directive and everything. The, um, you're not supposed to, to interfere with the cultures that have not discovered warp drive yet. So they can't travel to other stars. But from the moment they are, at least in theory, able to do that, that's when first contact can be established. And that's what the Vulcans do. Uh, this is all in the movie First Contact. And so the Vulcans come down and they greet the people of Earth with the now famous greeting uh, live long and prosper, at least or at least with a hand gesture. <laughs> and so that happens to be the 5th of April, 2063. I hope I'm not m- messing this up. But because we already know what's going to happen in the future, because all of this, all of, this of course, is absolutely going to happen. This is real. <laughs> we already start celebrating uh, First Contact Day. Uh, I think we started to celebrate it a couple of years ago, ever since they made that movie. Um, but over now with, with social media, uh, it's been uh, gaining traction. And so yesterday I also honored First Contact Day by making my very first, not really the materially the first, but at least in terms of content, the, my first TikTok video. And I also posted the same video on YouTube. YouTube has a kind of um, TikTok competitor called... YouTube Shorts, and they are heavily promoting it. So it means that if I post something on 
YouTube Shorts, that video has much higher chances to reach a large audience, which of course then may also discover the rest of my content and the streaming mass and everything on, on the YouTube channel. Uh, so, but I was really excited to um, to record that TikTok video. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was hard because I'm, well, you know me, I'm pretty verbose. So I recorded like, um, I don't know, like a three minute video on the topic of the history of First Contact Day. And then I wanted to upload it to YouTube Shorts only to discover that YouTube Shorts for now only allows you to upload one minute. That's the max. So it has to be super short, which meant I had to go back and re-edit the thing and edit it. I took out like two thirds of the content and, um, and, and, and brought it down to one minute. But that's, that's good training. It means that's a really different type of communication uh, from, from the podcast that I do, that long form, you can listen to this while you're doing other stuff or while you're uh, commuting. Um, and it's also different from, from the regular YouTube channel where, you know, I can illustrate, I can you know, develop a, 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 a line of thought. Um, but with YouTube shorts, it's got to be short. So that was uh, really fun to do. And on TikTok, by now, you can also post longer videos. But um, I'm just going to start with the shorter ones. And I've decided to commit myself to uh, always showing up every day. This is this is a, a theme that I will touch upon in also in the walk um, of one of these weeks. But it's this idea that you only can improve if you keep showing up every single day. Even it, that's how I started running. Uh, I just kept showing up. I had my training schedule, and of course there was no one that I had to show up for. Uh, but myself, but I wanted to show up. I wanted to always follow the the training schedule, which ultimately led to me running a couple of marathons. And the same is true with podcasting, with any other thing that you want to acquire, learn, accomplish. It begins by showing up, by trying and, and uh, learning by doing, uh, which is kind of <laughs> a bit counter... Um, counterintuitive for me because I'm I'm the kind of guy who all, always wants everything to be perfect before I bring you something that's that's why you are still waiting for that second documentary because I I really want to polish it and make sure it is the you know the best we can do with the footage that we have um, but I thought you know what um, on my birthday I'm going to try it differently I'm just gonna do a different approach for this new year and instead of, of waiting with something until it's perfect, I'm just going for it, and I will learn over time to make it better. And the people that are uh, watching the content or listening to it, they will. I will bring them along in this process. So for me, that is really not what I've been doing for most of my life. But hey, why not? It's it's a good moment to start. And I actually tried that out also yesterday uh, on my birthday. Because I had invited uh, Father Henry and Michele is one of the uh, Italians that lives at the rectory. And also Eric, our uh, tra uh, transitional deacon. Um, but Eric had um, a parish activity, so he couldn't come. And I invited them for dinner. And uh, it, it was my birthday dinner, so I like to cook something nice. However, I also had just a, a regular day of work. So I, I knew that I only had about an hour to cook something nice. And I had some ingredients, I had a few ideas, but then 
when I had to start cooking, I only literally had an hour before they would arrive. They, they, um, um, Father Henry still had mass at his parish, so I knew that he would arrive at about 8 o'clock. And usually that's exactly when they are there. So um, I was left with about an hour. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been so ambitious. I've, I wanted to do this and that. I'm never going to pull that off. Oh, it's going to be terrible. And then, of course, what I forgot was... You cannot cook when your guests are there. You're supposed to also be with your guests. So how am I going to balance that? And for a moment, I was tempted to just outsource it and go to a local restaurant here. But then I thought, you know, I already have all the ingredients. What am I going to do with all that stuff? Uh, It's way too much for for just me. Um, My next birthday is a year away. (laughs) So (laughs) you know what? Let's just do whatever we can. I'm just going to cook and... I'm going to trust the process and it may not be the, the, the most perfect dish or series of dishes because I always try to do uh, three courses um, on a, on a, when, I've, when I organize a, a party. Um, but I'm just going to try to make the most out of it. And you know what? Just by cooking, it, it, was, it was really, it was nice. I mean, and, and even when they arrived, I managed to balance it out. I would sit there for a couple of minutes, talk, and then I would go to the kitchen, uh, do some stuff, go back, talk a little bit more. So by doing, I discovered that this is actually way more feasible than I thought it was. As long as you're, you know, trusting the process, just go for it. And also, you know, my guests didn't have any expectations. They didn't know that they would get a three-course dinner. Um, they didn't even know what what was on the menu. So even if everything had failed, I could have still just put some pizzas in the oven <laughs> and they wouldn't have a clue that that was not what I planned. So that whole mentality of just go for it. Don't don't sweat it. Just trust the process and you'll get back. I know that by having cooked now in one hour, three courses, I know that I can do that. And so next time, it'll be easier. And, you know, I could even repeat some of those recipes. I just have to remember who ate what so that I don't get guests like, huh, that's exactly like your last birthday party. We ate the same thing. (laughs) That would be a little bit embarrassing. But uh, yeah, uh, just learning by doing. Um, But then, of course, after dinner, we still talked and uh i stayed up late uh, at least for my um <laughs> for, 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 for if i normally follow my schedule i should be in bed at nine um right now i was in bed at midnight so <laughs> i slept in a little bit this morning and i need a little bit more coffee to stay awake how do you not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine i just get bored and never make it to the end you know you need a movie education you need a movication i'm gonna give it to you i have to share with you one of the most amazing series that i've watched in the past few months now i've watched a lot of good stuff recently um there there are a few really good series on on apple plus um, there is, of course, the new Moon Knight series, Marvel on Disney. Um, but I want to talk today about a series on Netflix uh, that was up in the top three of most watched television series. And when I first saw the poster art on Netflix, I didn't think it was something for me. Even the title is like, yeah, I don't know. It's probably just not my thing. But then I saw some recommendations elsewhere on the internet and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give it a try, watch one episode. If I don't like it, 
no harm done. I will just I've I've got a lot on my plate to uh, to 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 watch anyway. And the series was called Inventing Anna, uh, and the the poster art just showed this girl with uh, kind of thick dark uh, black glasses, um, just staring at the at the camera. And I'm like, uh, it's probably some kind of fashion show, or maybe it's something like Emily in Paris. I totally expected something a bit fluff, uh, non-consequential. Instead, oh my gosh, I was hooked after five minutes. This is a story that is based on a, it's a real person, Anna. I don't know her last name. I'm usually very bad at, uh, at uh, remembering names. But it's this girl, I think she's from Germany or Russia, and... Um, when we first meet her in the series, she is in prison. And uh, she's in prison for a very specific reason. She has swindled millions and millions of dollars from all sorts of rich people and, and enterprises. And she lived a jet-set life, very, very... Um, uh, pretending to be the daughter of a super-rich Russian oligarch with a big thrust fund... Uh, that unfortunately, since she is now in the United States and her father is a bit uh, controlling, she has no access to. But in the future, she'll inherit it all, and and so and people believe her, and so she builds up this completely made up identity. That's why the series is called Inventing Anna. She's inventing a a, a version of herself that has no place in reality and yet everybody falls for it and there's this journalist who uh, learns about this girl she the journalist herself also has a story arc uh, which makes it even better uh, and because she uh, has written something in the past and we gradually discover that there's been a, a bit of a journalistic drama something that she I don't know, mispresented or she got sued for an article or anything. So she wants to basically um, rebuild her reputation. So it's not just about Anna building uh, a new identity. It's also about this journalist doing, being in, involved in a similar process. She wants to rebuild her presence in the journalistic world. And the way she wants to do that is by telling the story of this Anna that she has heard of. Nobody writes about this. But she has this intuition that this is a story worth telling, and I need to know how she did it. And so she goes to the prison, and at first it's very... These two don't want to... don't communicate very well. Anna is extremely strange in her behavior, very, very still... Even though she's in prison, she still has that same, has that same character, like, I am in charge. And it's a young girl, I mean, she's in her 20s, and this journalist is much older and more experienced, and yet she even knows how to manipulate this journalist in doing exactly what she wants. And then over time, you see all these flashbacks, how she got to <laughs> become this master deceiver and 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 how she created that, that, that life and that personality around Anna. And she um, th th one of the tricks that she uses is to... Um, build her reputation by proxy. So by hanging out with the right people, she impresses other people. And even though she doesn't have any credentials, the people that she hangs out with have credentials. And so, like financier, f financiers, financiers, how do you say that? Like bankers, they trust her projects and her ideas because 
they have trust in all these fashion people and art gurus that she has gathered around her. And so over time, this bubble, this 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 castle grows bigger and bigger, but there's no foundation. And so ultimately, of course, it all comes out and she's discovered to be a fraud and ends up in prison. Um, but it's an amazing, and the, the most amazing aspect of this entire series is that it is at least partially based on a real Anna who did exactly this. Now, it is a mix of reality and fiction, also probably because the real Anna on which this is based is still currently in prison. So it's unbelievable that someone who actually has been convicted for these crimes has sold the rights to her story to Netflix. She must have made a fortune by uh, by selling the rights to her, well, to her life story. But um, it, it's different enough so that she doesn't uh, implicate herself uh, from a... Um, uh, how do you say that? That she, she doesn't make it worse. <laughs> and so um, you don't know exactly when you're watching the series. And in fact, it's stated at the beginning of every episode. Uh, uh, all of this is true, except for the parts that are made up. And so you, you don't know exactly what is true, but it is so intriguing and so well told. It's, it's extremely well uh, written. The dialogue is good. Acting is fantastic. It is filmed in, in New York also, at least uh, a lot of the earlier episodes. And, I mean, it looks like a, a, just a very high-profile series, which it is because it, you know, it's been a number one, I think, for Netflix for a while. And I don't know how this is going to end. I also don't know if this is just a one-season um, series. Eventually, of course, uh, we'll end up where, where she is at the beginning of the story in prison. And so I don't know if there is a sequel. It's, it's a little bit like um, a Tiger King, where the first season was amazing because you're like, wow, I've never seen such a weird group of people. <laughs> and, and then uh, they try to do a second season based on him now being in prison, and the second season was a flop. Nobody watched it because there's no story anymore. It's not interesting. He's just in prison. What can you do? So the whole exotic aspect of his story um, was they put that all in the first season. And the, the next season, there was nothing more to tell. So hopefully with Inventing Anna, they won't make that mistake. But highly recommend it. It is for, uh, for adults. This is not a children's series. But... Um, uh, fascinating stuff really really amazing amazing series highly recommend it <laughs> Catholics rock and the peculiar bunch we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics but you were afraid to ask Catholics can be a peculiar bunch no meat on Friday Meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about a question that most Catholics have right now, at least in the Western world, and that is, how can we make this work for the next generation? Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So as you may know from your own experience, a lot of parishes are currently in trouble. 
because uh, church attendance is going down in some countries much faster than in other countries. But on the whole, in the Western world, the Catholic Church is on the decline. And not just the Catholic Church, it instituted religion in general is is getting uh, um, is, is dwindling down. And it's almost as if this new generation is no longer, doesn't want to belong to these institutional uh, communities and they find other ways to uh, to give meaning to to their lives so that's that's a process that's just a given you can have all sorts of opinions about that whether that is a disaster or it's just a natural evolution but the fact is parishes suffer the consequences because they were built in times where a lot of people would be interested and there was also a uh, uh, a lot of interest in what the Catholic Church did, and people would also contribute to those communities. And that's how we build, in, after the Second World War, we build a ton of churches in our countries. But now, with almost no young people attending Mass or any other religious celebration anymore, these buildings have become redundant. And in, in just about 50, 60 years ago, every village in the Netherlands would have multiple churches, Whereas now, you and I, I experience this uh, every week, um, in, in, a, in an area where the, you had, I think when Father Henry arrived here, they had 11 parishes. They brought them all together into one big mega parish with 11 churches. And then they started closing churches. And that process is still going on. And ultimately, there will probably be three or four churches left, and that's it. Um, and, and that's probably even going to be a bit too much in the future. So uh, this is a massive challenge. And of course, also, especially for the older generation that has known these times of, you know, the golden era of Catholicism in the Western world, where, where it was just part of life and part of society, and the Catholic Church had a voice in society, and they were doing lots of stuff. It is really hard to swallow the consequences of uh, of secularization and uh, the decline of church attendance. So what is interesting to see is that you have basically a choice when you see this. You can either just give up and say, well, you know what, we'll just hang on to what we do um, and see, when, and when it no longer works, we'll, we're just closing shop. Or you can think, well, why doesn't it work? Maybe it's not just them, because that's that's always the temptation. Oh, it's the, you know, these kids nowadays, these younger people, they, they're superficial, they're individualistic, and, you know. Uh, or you can ask yourself, well, maybe it's us. Maybe it's the way in which we are uh, not translating our faith in, into, uh, in, in forms that are attractive, that are appealing to people. Maybe we kind of somehow missed the boat when it comes to finding new connections with people. If faith is no longer relevant for today's society, maybe it's the fault of society, but it could also be our fault that we, ha we don't that we haven't we have failed to make faith relevant. If something is super important, that this is the whole basis of the work that I do in media. It's because I want to share my passion. And I, and it's my passion for Star Wars. It's also my, my passion for faith, my passion for life. And I share it with whoever wants to listen. And right now you are listening to this. So for me, that's enough. I know that at least you're interested. And it, it's a different mindset. I, what motivates me 
And what makes me happy is that I can share my passion, but it's not in the numbers. And since I operate from a very, very small base of operations, literally I'm in a tiny little room behind a miniature desk crammed in between the other desk on which I'm editing, um, there are a few lights from Ikea. I think the entirety of the gear that I, I'm making this with is a, a couple of thousand euros. That's all. And that's all I need to reach thousands and sometimes via YouTube, tens of thousands of people. So, but it, it, you don't need buildings, you don't need stuff to to be relevant to people you need to have a story to tell you need to mean something for the people that you're talking to and i think that is the big challenge how can catholics figure that out what 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 is necessary and it starts with listening listening first of all to god because he probably has an idea <laughs> jesus knew what he was doing he was he wanted to be out there he didn't build churches he didn't even have his own synagogue, even though he was considered to be a rabbi. But he just traveled. He met people where they were. He listened to them. He gave them advice. If they were hungry, he fed them. So he didn't shy away from the practical stuff. If When they were sick, ill, handicapped, he came to their rescue. He helped them to build a new future. So a lot of what Jesus did was not just preaching. It was certainly not building structures, but it was meeting people where they, where they are and establishing a relationship. And more and more people started to join because of that. I mean, even the apostles, they had fine jobs. They were fishermen and some of them had other jobs. And yet there was something in this Jesus and the people that followed him that appealed to them more than the stability of their job or their income or whatever. That is what we need to find again. So in order to renew the Catholic Church, that is the quest and uh you may know this uh canadian priest uh, father james mellon who wrote a book called divine renovation he was in a parish that was basically in a situation that most other western churches are in church attendance was really low uh, people were doing the stuff that they had been doing for decades without really knowing why and they were just complaining that it didn't work, that younger people were not interested. And he was like, at one point in his life as a priest, he's like, this is not normal. The, the gospel is supposed to be attractive. So if it's not, it's not, <laughs> the fault is not with God. The fault is not with the message or with Jesus, because this has worked for 2,000 years. So if it doesn't work now, people don't really change that much over time, then it must be our fault. What can we change how can we rethink the situation and reorient our, our actions so we become relevant again? And uh, this book has been a major success. It's been uh, translated in many different languages. And he also uh, has a, a knack for organizing a, a movement around it. So he travels the world helping other parishes and priests like me to, to kind of rethink their situation and to try something new. From the point of view that, you know, whatever you do right now, you may be attached to it, but it doesn't work. So <laughs> there's not much to lose anymore. You can only win by trying it from uh, in a different way. And so uh, he was supposed to come to the Netherlands about two years ago for a big conference. And <clears throat> to my great surprise, 
um, more than thousand a thousand people uh, registered for that event from from all over the Netherlands. The book has been reprinted five times now. It's a major success, which is very hopeful because it means that a lot of people in our parishes are willing to try something new. They want to know. Maybe some of them are looking for an easy recipe, which of course doesn't exist. But, but others are sincerely seeking new ways and want to join other people with the sa- with that same goal, with that same ambition. But because of COVID, that uh, convention had been postponed several times. But it finally took place uh, about two weeks ago. And all those, I thought, you know, two years ago, a thousand people registered. Only half of them are going to show up now because the world has changed after COVID. But no. Even more people showed up, and it was a massive event, two-day event. I followed it through, they had a live stream on YouTube, and it was fascinating to see. But what struck me most was the enthusiasm. Um, nobody pretended to have, also Father James Mellon did not pretend to have all the solutions, but he proposed some ideas, like a different, like re- rethinking the situation, reframing also the current situation, and challenging people to... Um, to rediscover their passion because everything, every change, every dream starts with a passion. You need to have a desire to share. And without a desire, without this conviction, this will to make changes, everything else are futile plans. You can make plans for the rest of your life. But if there's no passion behind it or if it's just a plan out of desperation, it's never going to work. But if you have passion... If you have enthusiasm, some of that will generate a spark, and that may actually uh, start uh, touch the hearts of other people. And I was so happy to hear him talk about that because I think that that is really the secret. the The gospel, if you look at the early church, the gospel spread through shared enthusiasm people were touched look at the disciples that went were on their way to emma's and they meet jesus on the way and they don't recognize him but only afterwards they think but he set our hearts on fire that's how they describe their meeting with jesus and that i think has always been the way in which the church has grown and it is something that we need to find and if you don't feel that enthusiasm look into your soul and ask yourself what am I missing? Because this is not normal. Faith should should embrace me, should light me up, should give me energy. If it's not, then maybe there's something wrong with my faith. Maybe I should go back to my roots and rediscover this and rethink the way in which I, uh, um, I, I uh, make room for 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 this faith in God and for God Himself. Because if the Holy Spirit is truly in my heart, I should be able to feel it. I should be able to see its effects. In fact, one of the nice things about the Holy Spirit is we don't know what what the Holy Spirit looks like, but we do notice the effects. That's why the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit, is always described in in images, like a fire or a dove. It's something, you don't see the Holy Spirit itself, but you see its manifestation so if you don't, the opposite is true as well. If you don't feel that fire, that energy, if, it, if the Holy Spirit doesn't give you wings like a dove, then you have to ask yourself, is he truly there? Am I really open to the working of the Holy Spirit? So it, there is lots more that I could say about this, but I, I feel that, that this, this 
inner passion that is what we need to rediscover and 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 then stop worrying <laughs> just trust that if you are passionate if your heart is on fire then you can meet other people that will discover that same spark that will also be on fire and join you and then you can start building but without that fire without that enthusiasm you can you can make plans for the rest of your life and nothing good will come from it when did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics last night the packet the extraction theory papers am i the only one who did the reading what's your name my name is Roderick, Father Roderick. <laughs> I so wish I could say that, you know, and just give me a martini. Shaken, but not stirred. Or shaken and stirred? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching some James Bond lately. And this was because I discovered a book uh, in, my, in my reading app uh, written by brad gilmore uh, together with a friend of his mike uh, kalinowski brad gilmore had already written another book that's probably why it popped up in my suggestions he wrote um, a, a non-authorized uh, history of the making of B the back to the future movies and well you know how much of a fan i am of of uh, back to the future and a lot of the stuff in his book was you know, stuff I already knew. Uh, but it was nice to just read it from his perspective. And you could tell that this guy is like super into the, 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 the movie world and loved writing about it. So it was a joy to read that book. And when I saw that he had written a book about James Bond, of course I had to read it. And um, the book is called Bond, James Bond, Exploring the Shaken and Stirred History of Ian Fleming's 007. And it is literally the history of Bond. Um, so the book itself is a bit unorganized. They actually postponed the publication until the last movie, No Time to Die, came out because they wanted to include that, being it being the final movie with uh, Daniel Craig. And uh, But unfortunately, they didn't use that extra time to do another edit. I think the book would have benefited from a bit more structure. Maybe it's also because it was written during the pandemic. So it's probably... They didn't have much, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings with the one another. And so it, it feels a bit disjointed. Uh, they both often write about the same thing. So there's a lot of repetition in, uh, in the book. But nevertheless, uh, for me, it was very informative because I know a lot less about James Bond than I know about Back to the Future. So it was fun to read how these first stories came about, about Ian Fleming's background, um, how he came up with that idea of Bond and how uh, this was ultimately ended up in this super uh, <laughs> successful series of, of movies um, and maybe in a future TV show. There's already been, I think, an attempt to do something of a serialized nature with cartoons, if I'm not mistaken. But very recently, uh, the rights to James Bond have been bought by Amazon. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you can count on it that they will try to monetize it and just making one movie every four years, that's probably not going to cut it um, because Amazon is a very commercial entity. So just like what they do with uh, Lord of the Rings, I wouldn't be surprised if they will do something, a spin-off thing for their Prime Video uh, service. Um, so we're in for a lot more James Bond, let's put it that way, just like 
when Disney took over, all of a sudden the, the, the vault of, of Star Wars was opened and, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about all these stories that we suddenly get to, uh, get to enjoy. Maybe the same thing will happen with James Bond. Um, and it was a really, from that perspective, is an interesting book where you know it's just part of the story. This will continue. But it also uh, taught me a lot about parts of the James Bond history that I had no idea of. Uh, there are way more stories. There's actually even a James Bond Jr. Did you know that? There's stories about this nephew, I think, of James Bond. It's crazy. Um, and and uh, oh, another thing that was interesting, I've been speculating now that Daniel Craig is done doing James Bond. What's going to be their next? The, what's going to be the next actor? They've tried out actors that sometimes only lasted one or two movies. Are they going to go for the same, or maybe they will do a prequel? How fun would that be to go back to the 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 time during which these stories were written? Um, go back to the, I don't know fifties, sixties. But then I learned from this book that they already. Um, tried that or at least they 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 came up with that idea um uh, even before they did the daniel craig movies so and then it was shot down so they didn't go for a prequel um but it's interesting to know that they've already considered that um i'm super uh in intrigued by um these developments and i'm i really like james bond these are of course not very deep movies but uh, but it's it's been part of my life ever since I watched the first one in, in the movies. I think it was for my twelfth birthday. Birthday, I saw Octopussy in the in the in my in the theater of The Hague. We had to travel in those days to go watch a movie because I lived in a small village where there there was no movie theater. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a whole story in itself. I'll tell that another time. But uh, so I grew up with Roger Moore. Then I discovered later on when I was a student the. Um, uh, Sean Connery movies, and I was just hooked, and I, I still am. Uh, maybe I'll review some James Bond movies in future episodes of this podcast, but uh, for now, I can recommend uh, this book, uh, even though it has some flaws, but uh, James Bond, Exploring the Shaken and Stirred History of Ian Fleming's 007 by Brad Gilmore, Mike Kalinowski. It's, it's a nice read. <laughs> Scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Let's talk about interplanetary science. Uh, recently, scientists discovered, to their own surprise, that there are actually two different speeds of sound on Mars. That is the weirdest news that I... <laughs> that I read about this Mars exploration that we've been doing for the past few decades. So you know that there's this new explorer on, on Mars. And for the first time, they added microphones. And we've been, you may remember that a while ago, uh, after the landing, we heard for the first time sound coming from Mars. And it was just basically wind. That was it. But it was so magical to actually hear sound coming from another planet. It's the first time in history that we've been able to hear what another planet sounds like. But after that, of course, they were flying the helicopter, the Mars helicopter. And they were still con uh, continuing to record that sound. And when they analyzed the sound waves, they discovered that, in fact, the speed of sound is different because the atmosphere of course is different on mars and so um 
sound travels faster, if I'm correct, because the atmosphere is, um, is less dense than um, in our country. But they also discovered something really strange. And that is that the higher fre frequencies traveled at a different speed, so reached the microphones at a different time from the lower uh, frequencies. And that is, and at first they thought it, we did something wrong. So one of the uh, uh, scientists who was analyzing the data from the microphones, he, he said, I told myself that one of the two measurements had to be wrong because on Earth you only have one speed of sound. So the high-pitched sounds, like the zap of the laser with which uh, they are taking out samples from the rocks um, and and also the lower frequencies like the whir of the helicopter rotor um, would arrive at different times the higher pitched sounds would arrive earlier compared to the lower uh, frequencies on earth um, this uh, this scientist says the sounds from an orchestra reach you at the same speed whether they are low or high, but in on Mars, if you are a little bit away from the stage, there will be this huge delay. And this is the most fascinating thing that he said. Um, all of these factors would make it difficult for two people to have a conversation only five meters, 16 feet apart. That's how much of a delay there already is. So you would hear basically the higher pitched part of the conversation earlier than you would hear the lower pitch. And the farther you are away from each other, let's say like, you're, the other one is like 20 meters away from you and you're yelling at that person like dinner time and of course you can't do that on Mars because there is no breathable atmosphere but pretend there is um, then you would actually hear that twice <laughs> it's insane uh, and, and so this, this gamble of putting microphones on the Explorer uh, was was it was a was a great gamble because we otherwise we would have never realized uh, that 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 this would be the case. So um, there are some recordings on YouTube uh, and elsewhere on the internet where you can hear those sounds uh, from from Mars that they've been recording, and I assume that they will record more. The only kind of disappointment for the scientists was that that actually there's not much sound on Mars. Everything is super quiet. It's much quieter than on Earth. The only thing you might hear is just a bit of wind. And then you will hear mostly the sounds of the NASA's Perseverance ro uh, rover itself. But otherwise, at least definitely not aliens chatting. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? plug it in it's going to say hey i see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers you'll notice that this scanner built whoa well all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster but there is one more thing earlier in this episode i talked about this uh potential fourth scottish documentary uh, that i could maybe put together um provided that I can find a way to upscale the footage that I have. So this happened a couple of years ago, and I was on vacation in Scotland with uh, three other priests. We were staying near the sea in the northwestern part of Scotland. It was very remote. I remember we uh, rented a car, and in order to get to the cottage that we rented, 
it was like a four-hour drive through the Highlands. It was very much Scotland the way I imagined it. it was super remote, awful weather. It was raining all the time. It was so very dark. Uh, most of the time, you couldn't even see the mountains because they were covered in mist and 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 uh, and clouds. But at the same time, it is the kind of weather that you want to have in Scotland. <laughs> and so back then, um, and I may have already shared this before, back then... Um, uh, everybody was using these short form message apps. Um, it wasn't, wasn't WhatsApp. It was the other one. Um, I'm not even using it anymore. But anyway, the th- the idea was you constantly just you have to press record, and that will record like 15 seconds, very much like what TikTok is doing right now, and also YouTube Shorts and Instagram Reels. And it was the the first incarnation of uh oh it was snapchat that was the first time that vertical video became mainstream and people were filming everything vertical video i really didn't care for for vertical video to put it mildly i'm a television producer i like my my videos to be you know horizontal because that's how my eyes work and that's how my television is positioned it is but what I didn't realize at the time is that most people are now consuming content for at least the majority of their time on a vertical device, which is a phone. This may change in the future when we switch to, you know, um, AR glasses and and maybe at one point the phone will become obsolete. I don't think that vertical video makes much sense, but it makes sense because that this is kind of the limitation of the devices that we're using currently. So I was like, okay, I am on vacation. I want to try out this new trend. Uh, I'm just going to post videos on Snapchat. Maybe people will follow me there and I can show them. And I really liked this aspect of filming small bits of a story in in, in like 10 seconds, 15 seconds um, episodes. And so I would film something. I would talk over it. Then I would film myself. I would film what I was seeing. And so I ended up with a ton of stories that were made out of like these 10, 15 second pieces. And what, what was interesting was that it, that actually makes for very dynamic viewing, it makes it more, more interesting to watch than just a talking head. Um, and so it's definitely something I want to also uh, use when, when I continue my TikTok videos is to go back to that. That's form of storytelling. The problem was that all that video was highly compressed and it was filmed, and I did, had no idea at the time I was using a, an iPhone, was filmed in a very low resolution, 640 times 320, I think. So that's even lower than DVD quality. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's not even half of, um, of, of 720p. So it means that basically I need four times the image information to scale it up to regular HD, which is now kind of standard on YouTube. So I disregarded this material for television. I never turned it into uh, a documentary like I've done with other times that I was filming during my vacation because it's just very blurry footage and doesn't look good. But then I discovered this software called Topaz Video Enhance AI. And it uses artificial intelligence to generate details on the basis of a low-resolution image. They are also um, making 
software that can upscale photos and denoise it, degrain it, and it's pretty spectacular what they can do. And so it's based also on a lot of this artificial intelligence analyzing tens of thousands of photos and, and now video footage. So they know what an image that has these elements is probably looking like in higher resolution. So it, it is, it's unbelievable what, uh, it's like an educated guess. It's like, yeah, I don't have information, but based on what they do with videos, they look at other frames. And since the most of the time your camera is moving, they can gather multiple points of information of the things that you're filming. Like, for instance, I'm filming this lantern post, but I move my camera around. If you add up all the information from all these different, these tiny little differences that you film, uh, even though the, the individual frames don't have that much image information, if you add up all the information from the other footage, you may be able to generate a higher resolution. You have, you have more information than in just that one frame. That's kind of the gist of that technology. So I tried out the demo on that Scotland footage, and I was blown away, especially when I'm filming landscapes, when I'm filming nature. It does a terrific job in turning it into HD. Um, and I, I was like, I cannot believe that this was originally like a quarter of the size because it looks sharp, it looks natural. The only time that I can tell that this is artificially enhanced is when I film other people, uh, especially if they're a little bit far further away, like faces, etc. The AI has trouble rendering that into something that looks believable. So every time, every once in a while, it will look, will look a little bit more wonky, but I film myself a lot of time talking to the camera and so my face is like this iPhone didn't have a wide angle so it's a pretty big close-up of my face you cannot mess that up really even if you sharpen it a little bit it will still be looking okay and so on the basis of that I'm thinking I might be able to rescale all that footage at least to an acceptable degree that I can turn this into footage that I can use not for television that that's it's too uh you, you could no I, I wouldn't be able to get away with it for television but i definitely think i can do something for youtube with this material um the only downside is of course as you can imagine this is a very cpu intensive uh process because every frame has to be compared with other frames and there are lots of calculations models that are applied so in order to render just eight seconds of video my <laughs> trusty old pc has to work for more than 10 minutes, let alone for, I think I've got three hours of footage. So um, this software is intelligent enough to use also graphical cores, but even the graphics card that is in this computer is, is um, five years old. So uh, that's my major reason that I'm looking into uh, maybe switching to a uh, Macintosh because uh, this software has now been optimized for the Apple Silicon chips. And you know that in the Apple Studio computers, they have uh, put even more powerful uh, Mac or Apple Apple CPUs, and also added a lot of graphical cores. And all these graphical cores can also cal help calculate these higher resolution images. So this is the first time that I'm thinking. You know what? I'm, I'm making like a. The, of course, the investment in a new computer is a lot. 
because those computers are not cheap. But the return on investment can potentially be quite big because I can rescale not just this Scottish footage, but I also have footage from even way back when I was still studying in Rome and I filmed stuff with a very low-grade digital camera and all that material doesn't look very good. But I've been unable to process it because... Um, there's just not enough information. It becomes all very blurry. But with this software, I could salvage a lot of that stuff and turn it into new stories. So then, if I can use this for a couple of productions, it may actually be worth... uh, I will maybe able to get a return on investment with this new computer. So I'll keep you up to date. I cannot wait to try this out on the on the Scottish footage and well if you're a patron you'll get early access to <laughs> to, to the results of that labor so um, yeah but I'm excited that this technology is finally here and with that we've come to the end of this show by the way did you notice that I played the jingles at a lower volume um, I got some feedback in the discord on the discord server um, of my patrons and they said oh I always have to turn down the volume of the jingles. Maybe it's because I'm getting old and I'm thinking, well, no, it's probably because I'm using these um, headphones that are very good, but they're actually not that good for podcasting uh, because I don't hear myself back. I don't know. There's a, kind of an imbalance in the way it, it returns the audio to me. So I don't notice that the jingles are too loud. So that's why I'm playing these jingles now at about 75% of the volume. Let me know if this is better than, than in the past. And my apologies for being so loud in the past. Thanks for listening. For my patrons, you will um, uh, also find in your personalized podcast feed another episode of Father Roderick to the Max. As you know, that is very similar to this show, but with different topics. And this week, I'll be talking about my new knives. Don't worry, it's not for fighting, it's for cooking. <laughs> but I, um, I I, did find a way to sharpen my old knives and I got a new one, which is excellent. I also talk about how Michelangelo made his sculptures. There's new research that is super interesting. We'll talk about Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, uh, about the Lego Skywalker saga, and much, much more. All coming up in Father Roderick to the Max, available to all patrons. So check it out, patreon.com slash Father Roderick. See you next week. Thank you.